Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Dr. Moscala. I very much appreciate the kind words. I hope you can hear me, all of you. Move your head if, I, if the volume works. Okay. Um, before we start, I want to express my privilege, my thankfulness to be with you. Uh, Dr. Moscala, Dr. Davidson, Dr. Sedlacek, Dr. Ward, Dr. Williams, Dr. Fraser, and many others, and those, the coordinators that have put together everything, and others that I didn't mention the names, and all the seminary students. It is a privilege for me. I mean it with all my heart. I've been in Andrews there. Uh, it has been a great growing experience in my life a lot of experiences with God. Uh, Dr. Moscala, Dr. Davidson can share with you sometimes some of those stories. Again, uh, it's my privilege to be here. I wish I could be in person, but if God allows that to happen in the future, great. Right now, this virus is not possible. Uh, before we start, I want to mention a couple of housekeeping items, if you allow me, and then we go into the subject. As you know, um, as Dr. Moscala kindly said, uh, I'm the editor for the Ministry Magazine. I want to mention a few things. Lately, quite a few things have changed. The content, taking surveys periodically from the pastors to make sure that the subjects are vital to the times we live and to the practical needs of the pastors. We added audio, basically every article has a QR code if you scan it with your cell phone, you can listen while you drive or you run. You can listen to the article, and that saves a little time. We have added QR codes for resources. If you read an article and if you are interested to learn more about the subject, you click the you, you scan the code and it gives you it leads you to a page where you can find more resources on that subject. We have added integrated digital research. Basically, if you go online and you type a subject or an author, it will give you all the articles on that subject or that author since 1928 up to date. So basically, uh, you can do research on subjects. And we have added digital subscriptions for those that don't, don't want print and web design and so on and so forth. We will talk more about it. Just wanted to let you know. And I wanted to ask that if God impresses you to send an article, sure we don't promise publication, but we will get back with you. Dr. Moscala and many others, Dr. Kidder, they can talk more about that. They know they work with us. We are very happy to receive articles from pastors, moreover from our schools, from Andrews. Um, send an article our way if you think that it could be a blessing for the pastors worldwide. Uh, we, any subject that would put in your heart, but we prefer practical subjects that would help pastors. Anyway, saying that, we did pray, but let's bow our heads for another word of prayer, and then we start. Father in heaven, again, thank you so much for the privilege to serve. None of us deserve it. None of us are able to do it in our power. 
We depend on you. So we pray for your spirit right now. Please open the world. You know the needs. You know the plans that you have. So touch our hearts. May we focus on you. May it be for your glory and for your work. We pray in Jesus' precious name and thank you, Lord. Amen. Well, this subject, I don't know how long time I had. It is 12.09 or 12.10. I don't know how long time I have left over. But this subject, and if I speak too fast and if I have an accent, please pray for the gift of tongues. Okay. This subject, uh, it is the most simple subject in the whole possible theology, I believe, my opinion. And I believe it's the most difficult to implement, the one that we struggle with. We may, uh, it, it, it may be easier to keep Sabbath and return tithe and eat tofu and, 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 and know the 2300 days and night prophecies a lot easier than to implement the subject that I'm going to talk about. Uh, I'm gonna start with a couple of questions, then a story, then I go into the subject. Uh, the questions are very simple. We believe that God has power. I don't for a second believe that God has lost his, he's old, he has arthritis and he, oh, I would love to help you, but I can hardly get off the bed. No, no, no. God has unlimited, indescribable power. God says, and it happens, let there be light. And there was light. Uh, to the sea split and the Red Sea split. Can you imagine that power? To the sea, stand still. And it was still. God has unbelievable power. We believe that God is the same yesterday, today, tomorrow. God doesn't change. We change. God doesn't. We see in the Bible God's power manifested so many times. Surely we should not look for miracles. We should look for a close relationship with God. Nevertheless, I talk to people again and again, and they sense <clears throat> in church all over the world, not only in the US or in Germany or whatever, but all over, that we have a lot of good programs. We have a lot of good doctrines. They are biblical. They are good. Yet we lack power. We, 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 something happened. I talked about power and the power just came. We lack power. We, we, we see in the Bible uh, the walls of Jericho coming down without a human touch. We see in the Bible the sun standing still for several hours until Moses and the army got victory. We see in the Bible Gideon going with 300 people, no sword, no weapon, just a light and a trumpet going to war. We see in the Bible Peter praying over Tabitha that was dead and she comes back to life. We know what Jesus said and Jesus said it very clear. Jesus said, you will do greater things. Those, he who believes in me will do greater things than I did. Uh, we, we see in the Bible um, the power of the Pentecost when thousands got baptized every day and, and miracles happened and, and the gospel spread within 30, 32 years in the known world. And, and Ellen White says that the work is going to close with greater power than it started. So my question is, where is that power? 
What is happening? Why don't we see the baptisms and the growth that we really want? Why do we pray for somebody sick and nothing is happening? Why do we pray when we are losing a job or a house and nothing is happening? What is happening? What is missing? And um, I'm going to, to venture into, I will go in, I will, I'm going to attempt to give an answer, though I don't pretend that it is the answer. And so let me say something here. Um, it is not safe for God to answer prayers and give blessings and power unless a person is under the total control of the Holy Spirit. In the human nature, regardless how good intentions, how good intended we may be, regardless how good plans we may have, our plans are as far from God's plans as heaven from earth. We don't know the big picture. We don't know the future. We don't, we don't know, know anything. Wow. wow. Again. We don't know anything. God sees things that we don't. God knows the big picture. And God in his infinite wisdom and in his unbelievable love would give us anything that would be really for good. If he gave us Jesus, how will he not also in Jesus give us all things? But then the Bible says that you pray and you don't receive because you pray amiss. You, uh, wrong reasons, uh, using them in a wrong way, in a self-centered way. Uh, God has to justify in front of the universe. Why would he answer that prayer? Because God is just and God is love. God is on the stand. Satan attacked God's character. And when we pray, if we were in total surrender to the point that God and his spirit takes total control, Jesus says in John, I don't do my own works. I do the works of the Father. The spirit of prophecy says that Jesus received the plans for every day. Early in the morning, he prayed and the Father gave him the plans. Basically, Jesus didn't do what he planned. He did what God planned. We have a tendency to go to God with our plans, good plans, nevertheless, our plans. And that's God's blessing. Instead of going to God to ask God's plans, we want God's blessing for our plans. When you are in control, uh, you have a board meeting and you, or, you, or you write a to-do list and you say, God, would you please bless our list? Would you please help me with this and that and that? That's you presenting your plans before God and asking for his blessing. Basically, you are the master, he's the servant. You make the plans and you tell him to bless it and to, to do it. If God is the master, he would tell you what to do. When God is in control, there is no risk for God to give you unlimited power. Now, let me, I'm going to give you paragraphs from the prophecy. I'm going to give you Bible verses. But until then, let me give you a story. Uh, in uh, long ago, like 100 years ago, when I was young, I was in the army in Romania. I was in the military service. And, and, and uh, they put me in a small unit called Genius. Don't worry, I was not a genius. That's the way they called it. They took... Uh, the, the garrison was about 5,000 soldiers. But they handpicked 50 out of 5,000 
and they made it a special unit that we are trained, not only infantry or not only this or not only that, we are trained to use any type of weapons, any type of guns to make bombs, to plant them. We could make a big bomb to move half of the mountain or we could make a small, unbelievable, to plant it in a pencil, in a pen, in a telephone. We could go in a place where the army could not go, one person, and do damage or stop the enemy. Or this unit was trained to do special things. And in, in that unit, they advanced me more and more and more until I was lieutenant over the rest of the unit. Well, one day, the captain that was responsible for this unit came to me and said, Goya, you are the enemy of the state. I thought he was joking. I said, yeah, look at me, how dangerous I am. He says, I'm not joking. I said, okay, what's the problem? We need to eliminate you. I said, what? We need to terminate you. I said, you don't look like Schwarzenegger, like the Terminator. I, why, why, are you kidding me? Are you serious? Why do you use big words, you know? He says, you are the enemy. I said, what are you talking about, man? I became serious. I said, this guy is crazy. He has so much power. What's wrong with him? Did he eat something wrong and his mind is going, you know? What? I said, tell me the problem. He says, you are an Adventist. What? Yes, I am. What's the problem? You are the enemy of this country. We are communists. In this country, we don't believe in God. You, any communist country you go, North Korea, Cuba, doesn't matter. You believe in God, you are the enemy. I said, my Bible teaches me to pray for the governments. Uh, regardless if I agree with this and I don't agree with that, doesn't matter. My Bible teaches me to pray for the governments. My Bible teaches me that to pray for the peace of the city and the country where I am in. My Bible teaches me that God is in full control. People do lose their minds to the point that they start Christians hating each other because they are, uh, oh, he's not a republic, oh, he's not a democrat. Uh, the Bible doesn't teach me to hate. I don't have to agree with, but the Bible teaches me to love, including my enemy. So I love my country. I am praying for my country. I don't agree with some things from the communist government, for instance, not allowing people to have Bibles. But nevertheless, I'm not the enemy. I am willing to die for my country. You are the enemy. Let me give you an example. If there was war and we need you on Sabbath, somebody shot me, would you save my life? I said, absolutely. If you get shot, if your life is in danger, not even war, during the peace, if you have a car accident and I am driving by, or if your house gets on fire and it's Sabbath, I will save you. And I will lay down my life for you. He says, well, let's prove it. Today is Saturday. It's your day. I want you to dig a hole in the ground. I said, hold on a second. This is not an emergency. Why would I dig a hole? You didn't say, hey, my wife just fell down and she broke a leg. Let's drive her to hospital. You said, dig a hole. Why would I do that? It's Sabbath. I, I do everything you ask every day from Sunday to Friday, from morning to night. Why would I dig a hole? Because I command. I said, well, I'm sorry. My God is bigger than you. My God commanded not work on Sabbath. You see, you are the enemy. I said, no, no, no. If there is a war, if there is an emergency, different story. But you don't ask me to save a life. You ask me to dig a hole. That doesn't make any sense. The law says, during peace, if it's between you and me and you disregard my authority, seven-year prison. If you disregard my authority in front of the other soldiers, 14-year prison. And during war, Execution, we shot you on the spot. We, we just executed. He called the other soldiers, the rest of the genius, the special force, 
he ordered them to get aligned. They all got aligned. They saluted him. And they said, Goya, three steps forward. Tang, tang, tang. I got three steps forward. He says, I command you to dig a hole. I said, with all due respect, Captain, I'm, it's Sabbath. I'm not going to dig the hole. Oh, he got so red. He started to talk fast and to mumble and to spit that I would need an umbrella to protect myself. And, 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 and he, you disregard my authority, you stupid. And he went cursing Christians and then cursing God and talking really bad. And he says, where is God? And he was cursing God. And he says, I'm going to teach you a lesson as an example for the whole garrison. I'm going to teach you a lesson. I'm going to show you that there is no God that can save you from the communist government, from our hands. Nobody can save you. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to put you in the most difficult prison, the most, the toughest facility in the nation. And, and he, the one that he mentioned was the toughest. Very few came back who went there. They will be tortured, beaten. You will die there. And if you don't die, we are going to ask you to work on Sabbath, every Sabbath, until you give up. And if you don't, we are going to double, triple your sentence. I'm going to teach you a lesson. You don't say no to me. You. And he went on and on and on. Question. What would you do? Don't answer because it's a sin to lie. Just keep quiet. Just think about it. What would you do if you were me? Because every, every single time we have a small challenge, we don't talk about freedom or life. We talk about, man, my car is broken and I pray. Something, a real challenge, but a small challenge. And we pray and we don't sense an answer. We wonder why doesn't God answer? We, we, we doubt. We, we do believe in God theoretically, but practically we don't feel safe and secure. What would you do if your freedom or your life was in question. It's easy to tell the story after you go through the story, but it's a lot more difficult to go through the story. Think about Joseph when he was sold as a slave and he went to prison, innocent. Think about Daniel going as a slave in Babylon. Think about uh, so many in the Bible, John the Baptist, Paul the Apostle, Peter. Uh, none of those people had it easy. We want blessings. And God called us to sacrifice. So back to the story. What would you do? Uh, as soon as we don't see a blessing, we wonder why doesn't God answer my prayer? And most of our prayers, in, 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 I did a prayer seminar. I worked nine years and a half on it. And uh, I analyzed uh, many, 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 many prayers from the Bible and six months worth of prayers from some churches. And about 90 or more percent of the prayers focus on self, bless me, heal me, help me, this and that and that. And very little focuses on God. You look to Psalm 63, or as a matter of fact, most of the prayers in the Bible, and they focus on God and very little on self. For instance, Psalm 63, a Psalm of David in the wilderness of Judea. He was running from King Saul for a long time, several years, 10 years. King Saul with the whole army coming after him. David has 600 soldiers, plus their wives, plus their children, maybe over 2,000 people. I've been in that wilderness. There is nothing there. If you had 2,000 people in that wilderness where there is no water, no food, no trees, no grass, no flowers, it is extremely hot. A lot of snakes, scorpions, and just bare mountains, empty caves. If you would run from the king, 
You may hide two people, but you cannot hide 2,000 people. Where do you hide them to offer them protection? What do you give them for food? And how do you give them water every day? That's a real challenge. What would you pray for? I would pray for safety, for justice, for water, for food. In Psalm 63, David says, in a dry land where there is no water, I've seen you in your sanctuary. Your presence is better than the richest foods. And 12 times you, 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 and zero times me. I want you more than life. I want you, period. When I am with you, I need nothing. I want you 12 times you. When you have a big problem, that means that you have a small God. Because the bigger the God, the smaller the problem. Not that you will not have problems, but that when you look to God, your problems are going to be really small. From the perspective of King Saul, the tallest man in Israel, he saw Goliath in a different incident. And Goliath seems a giant. David, a, a child, sees Goliath, but he says, I come to you in the name of my God, who is the God of Israel, and, and that you mocked him. David sees Goliath as a, as a baby because he looks to God. When you look to God, you fix your eyes, turn your eyes upon, not just the song, but practically turn your eyes upon Jesus. When you see God, the more you see him, the more you reflect on his cross and his character and his miracles, what he has done for you in the past and his promises. And you don't forget and you remember one by one. When you look to him and you understand more and more of God, your problems become really small. The bigger is God, the more you understand God, the more you understand if God is with you, who can be against you? And if it happens, it's because God, who is in control, allowed it. If God allowed it, you don't need to understand. You just need to know him enough to trust him. If God allowed it, you need it. The Bible says in Peter that these trials work our character. Ellen White talks about trials as developing characteristics that we miss, like patience. How can you learn patience if nobody bothers you? When you say, Lord, give me patience, you basically ask for trouble. You say, Lord, send somebody to bother me, so I develop patience. When you say, Lord, give me faith, you ask for trouble. Because if everything goes good, you don't need faith. When you go to crisis, you need to trust. And so when you say, Lord, give me faith, you ask for, for an opportunity to develop faith. And so basically, these trials develop character. And so if God allowed it, instead of saying, Lord, solve it, you should rather say, Lord, help me grow. And then if you want, please take care of this problem. Nevertheless, I mean it, Lord, may your will be done, not mine. Ignore my prayer because you know better what I need. Sure, I want comfort and blessings, but you know what I need. It's better if I don't have comfort and I grow to be more like Jesus and to be used and to be in heaven. What's the point to get blessings and miss heaven? And so be careful what are you praying for. And going back, in the Bible, people focus on God. The more you focus on God, the more you know him, the more you know him, the more you trust him, the more you trust him, the more peace you have when you, have, when you go through crisis. Isaiah says, you keep him in perfect peace, him whose mind is fixed on you. People who, who are afraid, they forget that they have a real God. God is only a theory. In the Bible, God's presence casts away fear. In Revelation 13, People who are afraid don't go to heaven. Remember the 10 spies. Oh, it's impossible to take the country. 
The other two, hey, remember how God, we have a wonderful God. Remember how he has led us in the past. We have nothing to fear unless we shall forget how God has led us in the past. Remember your God. Those who are afraid, they didn't enter the country. What are you focusing on? You focus on your problems or on your God? Because the more you focus on problems, the more depressed you are, the less faith you have. But the more you focus on God, the more you realize that you can rejoice always, even in trials. Because God is with you. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I've inscribed you on my paths. Even if your mother will forget you, I will never. I love you. And so back to the army story. I started, I run from the training field to the warehouse. I was in charge of the warehouse. I locked myself in the warehouse and I dropped down and I started to pray and to cry. Lord, please. Please, I beg you, I don't want to go to prison 14 years. Please. The captain went to the garrison, called an emergency meeting, all officers, over 5,000 soldiers. And he asked for a vote to put me in prison 14 years in the toughest, most difficult facility in the country. I prayed, Lord, please, 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 please save my freedom and my life. What's going to happen to me in prison? I cannot even imagine. Please, please. You are God. You love me. Let me tell you, the more I prayed, the more desperate I was. I was terminated. My prayers were bouncing against the ceiling coming back to me. I had no joy, no peace, no answer. Have you ever prayed and you have no peace, no answer, no assurance? I was desperate. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed just as we pray. And at a certain moment, it came in my mind what my father said to me. Listen carefully. He who wants to save his life will lose it. And he who is willing to lose his life for me will save it. He who doesn't give up everything, doesn't surrender, mother, father, the easiest one is mother-in-law, mother, father, son, daughter, job, health, life. He who is not willing to give up everything, everything, everything is 100% everything. He who is not willing to give up everything cannot be my disciple. Luke chapter 14. Paul says, I consider all things, all means all, including school, job, bank account, car, life, health, family. I consider all things garbage, scubalo, garbage for the price of knowing Jesus Christ, my savior. He who is not willing to give up everything cannot be. You may call yourself a Christian, but unless you are willing to surrender all, all to Jesus, we sing it. But it's hard to do it. Unless you are willing to fully 100% surrender all, including control, including not the bad stuff, but also the good stuff and your own righteousness and your opinions. If you have a conflict, an argument with your wife or your friend or your teacher or your boss, is because you are still in control. You think you are right. Because if you think you are wrong, you will not have an argument. You'll just say, I'm wrong, I'm sorry. If you have an argument, it means you are right. If you are right, you need to surrender that righteousness. Unless you surrender all, God cannot be, cannot be both in control. Either you are God, cannot be both alive. If you are alive, God is dead. You must die to self for God to be alive. You must surrender control for God to be in control. God doesn't share the heart. He takes it all or nothing. 99% Christians will go to, to hell just like the others. Either 100%. Jesus said, well, but, but, but I give 99% and I, I don't give to Satan. I keep 1% for me. Jesus says, he who is not with me is against me. 100% surrender 
And the Illinois talks quite a lot about surrender. And she says, it's a lifelong process. God teaches us from small experiences. When we are willing to step out in faith and surrender, he teaches us to trust him. I put it in my words. I have the paragraphs in the whole series, surrender series. He, we taste and we see how good he is when we surrender. And we see that, that whatever we keep, we lose because we don't know how to handle it. We are so selfish, so lack, we lack wisdom. But whatever we give it to him that we think we are going to lose, that's what we save because he's the single one that knows how to bless it, multiply it, preserve it. You keep your family, you lose it. You surrender your family to God. He will bless it and, uh, and, and, and preserve it for you. Whatever you keep, you lose. Whatever you give him, you may think you lose, but that's what you save. Nothing is safe except in God's hands when God is in control. No human wisdom or plans would succeed unless it comes from God. And so it came in my mind what my father said. You want to save your life, your freedom with this communist regime. You are going to lose it, both this life and heaven. But if you love God to the point that you are willing to lose everything for God, even if you lose this life, you will win. And my father told me, don't be afraid of people. People are people. They don't know what they do. Keep your eyes on, me, on your God. Put God first. My father would say to me, don't pray for you. I said, what? He would say, well, listen, the Bible does say, cast all your needs upon him. But the Bible says, seek him first. And the other things will be provided. Put God first in prayer. Pray for his will for his plan, for his honor. Pray that he will do in your life, not what serves you and what you need, but whatever serves him and his honor, whatever is for his mission, whatever is for his plan, whatever would use you to be a witness for God. Pray that God would do with your freedom, your life, your house, your money, your job, whatever would do to you, whatever would honor him. And then say, Lord, the other things, you know them, you know that I have this and this and this challenge. I surrender them to you and I trust in your love and in your wisdom. Put God first and then it's okay to present your needs and then accept his will with your needs, whatever that will may be, because he must increase and you must decrease. That's Christianity. And my father used to say, then God will be able to use you and to answer your prayers when you fully surrender. Well, I changed my prayer there in the warehouse. I said, Lord, I'm going to pray the most difficult prayer. It's like, it was like pulling teeth, you know. Lord, I'm not going to pray that you save my freedom. But I'm going to give you permission to put me in prison. When I say that, I, I collapsed in, in tears because I really didn't want to go. Am I crazy to want to go to prison in a communist country? What's wrong with me? Why am I praying this prayer? I lost my mind. I ate too much pizza last night. What? Did I drink something? Lord, I give you permission to put me in prison. Jesus would have come on this earth to die for one soul. Shouldn't I be willing to go to prison if there is one soul to save in prison? If Joseph didn't go to prison, he would have never been prime minister of Egypt. Joseph didn't know the end of the story, but he trusted in his God. Lord, I give you permission to put me in prison. And if my presence in prison would save a soul or would honor you, please put me in prison. And if my freedom would honor you more, then give me freedom. Do whatever would serve you, not me. Forget me, I am willing to surrender my life, my freedom, everything. I am willing to give it to you. I am willing to sacrifice it. You are worth my sacrifice. I'm going to sacrifice it joyfully. Please give me strength. When I pray that prayer and I say, Lord, 
Whatever you do to me, not important. Do whatever would honor you and show these communists and these secular people that there is a God. He said, what is that God? Show them so they have a chance to know God and be saved. Whatever happens to me, not important. When I pray that prayer, instantly, I had a peace that I cannot explain. Basically, I could literally sense that God was there. I was afraid to open my eyes. I stopped praying. And for some reason, I kept quiet. And then I started to sing. I don't know why. I started to sing a song that in Romanian says, the one that trusts in the Lord has always peace and courage. And the melody we know, the one that trusts in the Lord. And I said, Lord, I don't know what's going to happen to me, but I, I'm okay. I'm in your hands now. In that moment, after I surrender my freedom, somebody knocked in the door. I opened the warehouse door. It was a sergeant, Chuchu Marian, short guy, funny guy. When he would walk, he was like this. You think he, would, he was taking off, flying like a plane. And he says, Pavel, you are a Christian. Yes. You are not allowed to lie. Yes. Please tell me the truth. Okay. Do you know General Joanna? I said, who? General Joanna. He said, nope. Oh, please don't lie. You do know him. You are friends. No, man, I don't know any general. No, no, no. General Joanna, you do know him. No, I don't. Who is General Joanna? Well, all armies in Romania are divided in four. The north, the south, the east, and the west. And, and there are four generals. And General Joanna is the general of army number three of Romania. And he is one of the toughest guys in Romania. He and the minister of defense and then the president of the country, they are hand in hand. And people are afraid. This guy, people lose lives. People, when they see him, they shake. I said, okay, what about him? Well, he came to inspect our garrison today unannounced we are in a meeting to put you in prison 14 years and the door opened and the general with his guards came in and they all froze we got straight we saluted him with we, we thought we are in big trouble I, we don't know why he came but we are in big trouble and he said relax sit down and we sat down and he says i came to inspect the garrison last time when i came two years ago it was a mess the fence was broken you said you have no funds the roof was leaking. The driveway was broken. But I am impressed. I want to commend you. The fence is fixed. Who fixed the fence? And they said, Goya did. Who is Goya? Well, he's a soldier. How much did you pay him? He did it as a volunteer for free. Who fixed the driveway? Goya did. How does he know to fix the fence and the driveway? He has worked with his father almost anything. He knows to do anything. Who fixed the leaks on the roof? Oh, Goya worked with his father's roof. So he fixed the roof. How much did you pay? Nothing. Who fixed the windows? Oh, Goya had a glass business. He knows how to cut glass. He replaced all the broken windows. How much did you pay? Nothing. Come on, man. Only one soldier did everything. Yes. For the several months, last months, every time after he would finish instruction, he would go around the building and around the garrison and around the unit, and he would fix things, and he does it joyfully. And he works day and night. We, I noticed that in the warehouse, last time when I came, there were things missing, compasses and uh, things. Soldiers would sell them to buy alcohol. Now nothing is missing. Who is in charge of the warehouse? Goya is in charge and he's very honest. He makes sure that nothing is missing. How did you reward him? You need to bow down before this soldier. You need to respect these quality soldiers. How did you, how much did you pay him? Did you take a picture to put it on the flag and, and post it on the television? Did you praise him? No, we didn't. Why are you in a meeting? It's an emergency meeting. We need to put a soldier in prison. Who? Goya. Are you crazy? Why would you put him in prison? He refused to dig a hole on Saturday. 
I forgot to tell you the funny story. When the, when the captain told me, dig a hole. I said, uh, I'm sorry, I cannot. He says, I want you to dig a hole. I said, you said emergency. This is not emergency. He says, I want you to imagine that there are enemy airplanes dropping bombs on you and you need to hide. You need to dig a hole. I said, there are no enemy airplanes. I want you to imagine it. I said, well, then you imagine that I dug the hole. And so going back to the story, he says, why do you want to put him in prison? He refused to dig the hole. Why would he dig a hole? To hide from the airplane enemies. Are you crazy? There is no war. Why would you ask him to do that? Oh, just to test if he loves the country. Does he love his country? Yes. Did he ever talk against the country? No. Does he work during the week? Yes. Leave him alone. Are you crazy? If you touch him, you touch me. If you touch him, you lose your jobs. I will go against you. You don't ever touch this soldier. You should appreciate these soldiers. And then the sergeant said to me, Goya, are you friends with the general? I said, no, don't know him. I know somebody bigger. <gasps> he probably thought I know the country president. I was referring to God. From that moment on, nobody for the rest of the military service touched me. They would salute officers, everybody. They would salute me and say, please call the general. Tell him that we take good care of you. Maybe we get a promotion. I said, I don't know him. Yeah, but you know somebody bigger. Call, talk to him about us. I said, I'm talking to him every day about you. Really? I was referring to prayer. But anyway, I strongly believe that God could have not answered my prayer before I was willing to put God first. Oh, we so much want to be successful in ministry, want to be successful in what we do, one problem solved, but we so little are willing to take a risk and surrender. And people in the Bible, Abraham surrendered everything. He left his country. He was willing to sacrifice his son. Moses surrendered everything. He lost his extreme potential future as Pharaoh. Uh, he went in the wilderness. He was nobody. Uh, Joseph lost everything. Da uh, Daniel lost everything. David lost everything. Uh, Paul, brilliant future. He lost everything. Peter gave up everything. People in the Bible put God first. We would want a blessing without surrender. They just go together. Surrender and blessings and power. You cannot have God's power when you are in control. You need to give it all up for God to take over. And then God can work. And so let me give you an example as I, I'm trying to finish. Peter, he was a good fisherman. We know the story. He was a professional fisherman. People who know fishing, you don't go fishing in when the sun is up at 10 a.m. or whatever. You don't go fishing when the water is small. Only small fish stay in small water. Smart fish stay in deep water, big fish. And so Peter tried the whole night to fish. He used the GPS. Uh, he could not find any fish. He, in the morning, he comes back. The sun is up. They are tired, discouraged. Zero, none, nothing, zero fish. Just 3% growth, you know not 150% growth in church, not much fish. And, and, and Jesus says, throw the net in the right side. Now, if Jesus could talk to him, I've been there. If he was in, on the lake, Jesus could not have talked to him. He would, would have had to scream, Peter, you know, if Jesus talked to him, Peter must have been close. If Peter was close, the water was small. Peter says, Lord, don't embarrass me in front of my buddies. It's 10 a.m., uh, the sun is up, uh, the water is small. Uh, there is only small fish and uh, big fish don't bite at this time and in this location, come on. 
Uh, you may know salvation, Lord, but I know fishing. Come on. Jesus says, throw the net in the right side. Peter threw the net towards the shore where Jesus was, the right side. And just to obey, he didn't understand. We so many times want to understand in order to obey. You need to know Jesus in order to obey, not to understand. And so Peter threw the net. The net started to break. Peter called the other fishermen with the other boats and the other nets. They all threw the nets to help this net. The nets started to break. They put the fish in the boats. It was like a pyramid. So much fish. So much <coughs> like, a, like, 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 like a mountain of fish. The boats started to sink. They, they have never, ever, 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 ever seen so much. I mean, the boats were not uh, a little fish or half fish or full fish. It was like a pyramid. The boats started to sink. They saw dollar sign in their eyes. Wow. If we sell all, the whole city has never seen so much fish. We sell it. For two years, we don't have to work. And Jesus says, give up the fish, and I'll make you fish. Follow me, and I'll make you fisherman. Well, well, listen, I like to eat. I can eat 10 times a day. I never gain a pound. I know it's not fair. I don't care. So I, I like to eat. I can eat day and night. I can eat and eat and eat, and I'm still hungry. I was born hungry. And, and, and if, if my wife fasts every winter, and every basically sometime in February and sometime in August, she would fast three weeks. I fast every day, four hours at a time. I never fast more than four hours. And so uh, if you keep me without food for five days, I die. And if you, if you after five days of fasting, show me uh, uh, amazing Thai food and amazing, uh, I mean, tam yam soup and this and that, and you show me Greek food and Mediterranean salad and baklava cake, when I see it, I, I want to eat it. And then you say, do you see the food? Yes, I'm hungry. Thank you. And then you take the food. Why would you show me the food and then take it away? Why would Jesus give him the fish and then say, give it up? What's the point? Jesus wanted to teach Peter two lessons. Number one, surrender. You cannot be fisher of men if you also pray for fish for you. You need to choose who comes first. You can ask. You can present your problems. But God must come first. God must be priority at any price in your life. If you really want to be successful, God must come first. You must surrender all. If whatever you don't surrender, that's your God. That's what you worship. That's what comes between you and God. That's what chokes your relationship with God. That's what limits God's power and intervention in your life, in your ministry. God must be above anything at all, literally anything, including life, freedom, bank account, doesn't matter. God must come first. Number one, Peter had to learn to surrender all. But number two, God wanted to teach him that if God gave him the fish today by miracle, God has the power to give him the fish tomorrow. So if you surrender, you don't need to worry for tomorrow. He who gave Israel food in the wilderness, water from the rock, he who fed Elijah, God is able. He loves you and he will, if you put him first. The other things, he promised he cannot lie. He has to be responsible in front of the universe for his word. God will take care. Later, Peter says, Lord, we have given up everything. What do we get? And Jesus says 100 times here, plus eternal life. Listen, you need to surrender and you need to trust. And to do that, you need to know. Unless you know God, you cannot trust a stranger. You need to have a relationship with him to the point that you say, I know in whom I have believed. I know I can give him all. I know it is safe. In fact, it's a lot safer in his hands than in your hands. And so Peter had to learn two lessons. And Peter surrendered. Therefore, Peter could walk on his, his 
his shadow would go over sick people and they were healed. And Tabitha, dead, resurrected, and so on. And 5,000 baptized and 3,000 baptized because he allowed God to take over. You cannot have any success in any area of life, including your private life or your ministry, your growth, your victory, or your baptisms. You cannot have any type of success in any line of work, private or work, unless God takes full control of everything. Before you fully surrender, before you die to self, God cannot give you any type of real success. Paul says, I've been crucified. I no longer live. Christ is in total control. He lives in me. I, dead people don't make plans. Dead people don't have desires. Dead, dead people don't get upset. Dead people are dead. If you get upset, if you make plans, if you have desires, you are alive. Jesus says, I have no plans. God gives me the plans. I do his own works. I, I say his words. Paul says, I die daily. This is a lifelong experience. You must surrender daily. The prayer of the soul should be every morning. Lord, today I put everything, my life, my health, my freedom, my school, my job, my whatever, in your hands. Grow me in knowing you and in trusting you and in serving you. Grow me in surrender. I want you to be in control. That lesson is the foundation of Christianity. You can know all the good doctrines. They are good, don't get me wrong. They are good and necessary. You can do all the programs. They are good and necessary. You can get all the education. It's absolutely essential to be educated. You can have experience. It is important. You can know the doctrines. They are biblical. Yet, you will accomplish zero before God takes over. It is the foundation. The whole spiritual life stands on this foundation. Daily surrender. It is the most easiest known subject and the most difficult to implement. Death to self. I'm going to close with two, three paragraphs from the spirit of prophecy. And uh, these paragraphs are, uh, in my opinion, they say it uh, a lot better than I said it in my words. Let me... Okay, I found it. One of them, I'm going to share the screen so you could uh, basically read them for yourself if you want to. You read better English than me. Okay. To everyone, everyone means everyone. To everyone who offers himself to God for service, not, oh Lord, bless me, and for service, withholding nothing. Withholding nothing means you keep nothing for self, you surrender all, you are ready to sacrifice to give up all, withholding nothing is given unlimited heavenly power for the attainment of measureless results. Anybody who is willing to surrender all receives unlimited heavenly power. Let me read another quotation. All who consecrate everything to God will constantly receive new endowment of physical and mental power. Let me read another one. I'm in hurry. Give me a second. Okay, found it. The reason God's professed people have no greater strength is because they trust too much their wisdom and too little God. Wow. Many who profess to be Christ followers are anxious, troubled, because they are afraid to trust God. They don't make the complete surrender because they shrink from the consequences of that surrender. Unless they fully surrender, they will have no peace. 
Our Heavenly Father has a thousand ways to provide for us, ways that we know nothing of. Those who accept this one principle, one principle, only one, to make God's service supreme, put God first, will find perplexities vanish before their feet. I'm not going to read more. Our time is up long ago. I have to pray now for forgiveness. But I'll see you tomorrow. Listen, make your daily prayer, Lord. This is a tough subject. I cannot surrender in my human power. Please help me. Uh, to learn to surrender today is small things. And as I learn to trust in you tomorrow, bigger things. And this way, you may take over and prepare me for whatever plan you have for me and for the final crisis and so on and so forth. Because if you don't learn to surrender and to trust today, how do you think you are going to surrender and trust tomorrow? If you don't trust him in small things, how are you going to trust him in big things? And this is not something to procrastinate. This is something that you need to start and do daily. Okay, let's bow our heads and pray together. Uh, Father in heaven, we, we, we do love you or we think or we want so. And we do want to surrender, but this is not easy. Please help us to fix our eyes on you. Help us to take daily time to know you because to know you is life eternal. To know you, to be filled with your presence, with your love, to be overwhelmed and, and in awe when we see your character, to, to daily reflect to the cross and to your promises and to your character and, 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 and the interventions in the past and to just be closer and closer to, to you and learn to trust you and to love you more than anything and to surrender daily. And Lord, please give us strength to do it joyfully and to grow continually more and more until you can transform us and use us for the plans that you have for us and for your glory. Father, I pray for the teachers, for the leaders, for the staff, for the students there, those who are online and those that may listen later. Please give them that type of relationship that they would always keep their eyes on you, never on problems or their own plans, but on you. Please complete my prayer. We pray in Jesus' precious, powerful, amazing name. And we know that you'll give us a lot more than we know to ask because you are God and you love us. Thank you, Lord. We love you and we praise you. Amen.